Welcome to the Up The Cream podcast episode 19, I'm Dan Tomlinson, I'm joined as always by Rich Harrison aka Pommy. Rich, how are you doing pal? I'm good mate, and you? Yeah, not so bad thanks, uh, uh, um, yeah we've just had a bit of a mental 36 hours in the UK right now with what happened on and off the pitch with the Euro 2020 final. On the pitch, yeah. fantastic, off the pitch probably not so, I mean some disturbing scenes, I'm pretty sure you would have seen them in Australia. Yeah, not not great, and uh, you know the the commentary over here, as usual, is um, you know they used to call soccer soccer hooliganism the English disease, and uh, you know I certainly think that that's still the overriding um, theme of the reporting of it over here. You know, look at these idiots, kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, and I get it. Yeah. And so this issue we thought would do a little bit of a rugby league master plan, and you can put that master plan in inverted commas, absolutely, but. We'll give it a go. See, see where we can. It's you, yeah, absolutely. But we'll, we'll give it, like I say, we'll give it a go and see where we can go with this. But yeah, I just thought to mention the football thing is is a good place to start, really, because I saw Steve Mascard and he after the semi final win when England beat Denmark and he put some tweets out about the celebrations and what he was seeing in the street when he was living in South London right now, and he was talking about the codes of football and obviously how they was all made in the UK and how it. How sport resonates with us a lot different than it does to your average American or your average Australian. And the big example there is with uh, promotion and relegation. Obviously, with UK, it's yes. a very, it's a very a customary thing to to expect in sport. Yeah. But in America and Australia, you're thinking what you actually have teams that do yes. that. And yeah. I suppose that's 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 the perfect place to start because promotion and relegation is the hot topic in Super League right now. You've had Lee that have come up this year controversially, so I may add as well, and they look dead and buried already and. They've played 13 games, we've lost all 13 games. I would say we're at the halfway stage, but I don't think there's a cat and no chance that we're going to get to 25 rounds in Tilburg, So, But they're just dead, they're just, you know, they're walking wounded right now, aren't they? Dead and buried. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of blows out the water what I was going to say about promotion and relegation, because I think it's essential. I, I, I really don't want to go back to that closed shop licensing model that we used to have. Um, because, in my opinion, that makes the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. You know, and I think it'd be a sad thing that, you know, and I know we talk M- M62 corridor and all the rest of it, but at the end of the day, you could have a team formed and playing in junior leagues and playing in the in the lesser leagues and in six years become a super league, there, you know, a super league side. There is a There is a transparent path for any club to make it as a super league side. And I think it's important that we keep that. You know, we, we talk and talk and talk about, you know, the, the Toronto experiment or whatever, but Toronto came through the leagues. They were promoted on merit. They finished top of that league. So therefore they came in merit. Um, Lee, yeah, um, not great. It, I'd really like to see Toulouse come up next year. And I think, you know, if they win, if they win that, you know, imagine a Toulouse Catalans derby. That'd be brilliant for the sport. It'd be fantastic. I just I really like promotion and relegation, but you run the risk of what's happening with Lee, as you say, and and you're right they do look dead and buried, and you know and sacking the coach halfway through the season, it's not a good look for the sport, and it is you know how do you how do you possibly battle against that? I mean, is it is it a draft system? Is it you know um, players are kind of allocated to teams that come up? I don't know. I really don't. I don't think anyone's got the answer to that one. No, it's it's a tough one. I mean, I must admit, 
I obviously do love my football, uh, what you guys call soccer, and the mm. fact that Premier League has promotion relegation, the whole football league, the whole non-league system has promotion relegation, that sits really yep. well with me. But it's also helped financially. You've got the parachute payments from the Premier League to those who drop down to yep. the Championship, and they're not financially burdened from that. They're not you know, restricted in what they can do. I mean, it's the same principle as rugby league because they literally have three months to prepare. They're promoted in May. This season starts again in August. So it's the same time span. If if you can yeah. say even even less than you get in rugby league if you finish in October and starting again in March. But yeah. as I say, it's, it's helped financially. And I look at rugby league right now. It's not a cash, you know, rich sport. Far from it. In fact, it's the opposite. And, and you actually, you've got yeah. Lee who have come up at the 11th hour. They hadn't even got the same slice of pie as the other 11 clubs. Neither did Toronto, I may add, as well. Yes. They've come up with that with that time span. They haven't had a you know, a chance to really recruit players, to retain players as well. And then they're thrown in at the deep end in Subway and say, look, 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 do what you can do. And it's like, well, yeah. what are they supposed to do? It's, it's an horrible scenario for them. I mean, and also the criteria that was brought up when they got promoted was another thing. I mean, they're supposed to add commercial... And competitive value yeah. to the competition. Well, what does Lee do with that? It doesn't have a train station. It's just shocking transport links. It's a, yeah. a club that gets three thousand on a good day. I mean, come on, you're not yeah. telling me that they commercially enhance the competition. You're right. I mean, you know, even a Featherstone or a Halifax, you know, or Bradford, even though not much it pains me to say it, um, or a York, you know, certainly a Toulouse would do that because I mean, you know it, it, it's it, they're just more centrally located. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I just Lee has always been a, a funny one. You know, I mean, they they were winning. I think they won the championship. Was it eighty one? They won the championship. Eighty two, maybe. Eighty two, um, wasn't it? Yeah, when Rob was bottled yeah, it. Yes, yeah, they were an incredible team, incredible team led by John Woods, the five eight, the, the the standoff that Hull were after for years and years and years. John Woods Hull threw the absolute checkbook at him, and he didn't come um, because we wanted him to replace um, David Topless at the time, uh, who was injured, and. Um, yeah, I mean, they were a really, really good team. It's just, yeah, not now. It, it's changed, do you know? It, it, the, the, the sport's changed. I think we, we need we need something a bit fresher. And, you know, you can argue that they didn't really get in on merit. No, they didn't, did they? When you look at where they finished last year, and, I mean, yeah. even in 2019, because you can't really say last year because the Championship had about two or yeah. three rounds before, obviously COVID hit and then it didn't resume. But, yeah. you know, the year before that, it weren't blowing up, you know, any, any trees and... The year before that as well, 2018, let's not forget that uh, Derek Beaumont, he threw all his toys out his pram, didn't he? Um, yes. In the Super 8s, when he realised he couldn't get promoted and he released players left, right and centre. And this is what I mean, it's not a sustainable business plan at Lee right now because they are literally relying on the benefactor. I know that's obviously a little bit... Um, it's a bit rich for us to say. Yeah, that's the one, a bit rich. But <laughs> I, ironic, ironic, there we go. My mind went blank then. Yeah, a bit ironic for us to say that when, obviously, yeah, you've got the Warrington who rely on a benefactor as well, don't forget him, him Mr Moran and St Helens are the same with Mr McManus. And, yeah, but when, it's not sustainable, is it? That's the thing. No, I think to your point as well about, about you know, parachute payments in soccer and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if a team gets promoted from the, the championship into the Premier League in, in soccer... They've got an entire planet of soccer players to choose from. You know, they can go to the Dutch second division, the Norwegian third division. They can find players. You know, rugby league. There's not many around. There's not many rugby league players around. And yeah, you can. You know, you, you, you're coming up and stuff. You can. You know, because of our rules and because of everything else, you can only sign two or three Aussies, four Aussies, whatever, uh, or Kiwis or, or Islanders or whatever. And then you, you're trying to pick up players from the from the amateur game or from other clubs and everything and there's not a lot of players around there really isn't you know there's it's a small gene pool rugby league players 
especially in England. And, um, you know, coming up and playing against players that are, you know, you wouldn't say the best in the world, but, you, you know, certainly the best in the sport in the country, it's a hard ask. It's a hard ask to find um, a squad of 21, 22 players that are going to compete, I think. Um, which is why it was always great, you know, which is why I thought it was really, it'd be really good if Toulouse come up because they've got a really cool, young French um, nucleus of that squad, which would come up and I think, I think would, would take, I honestly think would take Super League by storm. I'm not saying they're going to win it and I'm not saying they're going to finish top five, top six, but I think that would upset a few people if Toulouse come up and I think that'd be a really good thing. No, I absolutely agree with that. And if you know, if it was a, a side that I would have voted to come up last year, given the mm. given the choice, mm. it would have been to lose hundred percent. Probably then followed by London, and then thirdly York, who ironically are having a disaster yeah. of a season in the Championship this year. But to lose would yeah, have been yeah, the pick. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, we've banged the drum for French rugby league quite often in this podcast, and yeah, it is it is a beautiful thing. We all know that there's untapped potential in French rugby league yeah. as well. It's just you know the other day watching Catalans beat Leeds, which is obviously watching Leeds and Richard Agar fail is always. Tremendous, Brilliant. but after yeah. of the young French kid who stepped in at halfback, I thought yeah. he was he was sensational. You know what a young player he is. He's only twenty two years old. We've got that Mathieu yeah. Laguerre as well in the centre, who looks you know very promising. As I said, they've got some big blokes as well in the forwards, and they're starting to have a nucleus of French players as well. And you're absolutely bang on when you say that about Toulouse. You know, we've got um, Mark Carrera and Jonathan Thord, and you know obviously young French players picked up from Catalans or other teams in the French yeah. league like Carcassonne. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's good. To, it's good to see that, and and they would generally enhance that Super League competition. They would bring a derby into play with Catalans, yep. and they would finish Stonewall bottom, having not won a game. I reckon they would generally be com- com- competitive, and if, yeah. if they did get but, Super but League, they'd strengthen as well. Totally, mate, and, and, and a, a strong, a strong nucleus of French players is good for our game because it gives us someone to play. And I know we'll, we'll get on to what we think about the international game shortly, but um, you know. It, uh, Having players, having French players playing in the top echelon and the top division in Europe will make for a stronger French national side. And that can only be good for England. It can only be good for the game over there. Because then it gives us a proper, competitive international fixture which we can lock in yearly. There's no point playing France if we're going to beat them by 70 points. No point. No point at all. You put, you get Catalan and Toulouse in that Super League and get them get them playing against the best players in the league time in time out week in week out they will get better and it will make a, a stronger french national side it makes so much sense to me and so much commercial sense uh, and you know for for the english game the british game to to take the french game under its wing a little bit and, and help it along because it will help us in the long run yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, where I must take issue a little bit is is the promotion and relegation thing, and I am against it, and I'll tell you why. You look at Toulouse, right? I'll put them straight into Super League, no problem. But then you're thinking, right, okay, so let's say that, that did happen this year, Toulouse come up. So we're going into 2022 with lead down and Toulouse up. So it's a, let's say yep. it's an open shop again. You've got uh, yeah. your championship of 14 teams, whatever. Let's say the let's say the following season pans out like it's done right now. And Featherstone are the big boys in that league, you know, spending quite a bit of money, uh, yeah. you know, winning every game pretty comfortably and, and top the league. They finished top in two thousand twenty two. They've earned the right to come to Super League in two thousand twenty three. Except that Featherstone have already voiced a desire should they get promoted this year to be part time in Super League. You can't do that. And this is where I look at the championship and think how many teams can actually sustain a full time squad. You're probably yeah. looking at Toulouse, yeah. London. 
that's about it. Who, who else could generally yeah. do that? I mean, it, like you say, Lee coming up right now, but they are literally at their arse's end right now. Featherston would be yeah. the same. You know, if Bradford came up, if, you, know, you can't say that teams could come up and sustain themselves as a full-time operation. And that's my problem with it. And it was yeah. always the same. I mean, how many times did Castleford come up and then go straight back down and then come up? And it, yeah. it took Rovers to break that cycle. Filled, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and look to and Rovers, you know, for, to come to that, um, you know, that's what we were saying, you know, that, that was that was the benefit of licensing, wasn't it? it was that it meant that the, um, you know, your, your corporate money comes into play, doesn't it? Because your licensing was supposed to be there that a, a team, a, a club had the, the right facilities. They, they, you know, they they added something competitively, you know, they went easy beats every week you know there was there was a chance that they'd, they'd win a couple of games and all the rest of it and that's where licensing hit its straps and, and did well i think because because then it was you know you, your team did then become more financially viable because you know you only got an a license or a b license and a, and a, and a guaranteed spot in super league if you had the correct facilities and if you could do this and could do that and that, that was designed to weed out the weak and and, and promote the the, the strong the problem is that the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. And then you had, then basically what's happened is you had Wigan, Saints, Leeds dominating because they had the best facilities and the best squads and, and, the, and the best structure, you know, and us, you know, and us winning trophies as well, you know, um, one grand final and, and, you know, three Wembley appearances for two wins over the last 10, 15 years. Um, you know, it, it's just... I, I, I like licensing in a way, but I, I'm I'm still I'm I'm a traditionalist with English sport, and I do like promotion and relegation. I think that if a team finishes bottom, they should go. I, I get um, it, and I get that that say that that romance, that nostalgia, because like I say, it's been a part mm. of British sport ever since it you know came mm. in, into existence, and it, it say it's part mm. of our culture and a part of our identity. Yeah. And, I, and I do I do get it, yeah. and I get it in football especially. It's like with the Super League right now, where when they try to be in the European Super League with like your Chelsea's, your Man United, your Man City's, your Barcelona, Real Madrid, yeah. Juventus, Bayern Munich, etc., etc. They wanted a closed shop where literally they'd get a massive TV yeah. deal, they'd get the money, and they'd literally become. That'd be a case of rich getting richer, and you know your poor yeah. people like your Wolves and your. I yeah. know your Everton's still stuck in the Premier League. They'd evidently get richer because the TV money that's in the Premier League would then go to the European Super League. Yeah. And, and I get why there was such an outrage to that because it's nothing short of a disgrace. But Rugby League's different. Yeah. Rugby League can't support... Yeah. Rugby League in the UK can't support two, three professional comps. It just can't. It hasn't got the teams to do that. And like you say, look at the Championship right now. Who can genuinely go full-time barring a ha- you know, not even a handful of clubs? You're looking at two or three. And that, that's, that's, so what, if, that's why I have an issue with it. So if you close the door then... And we go back to licensing, or we have some other some other way, some other metric of, of measuring it. Then, if we, if we close the door, or, or even close it ajar, you know, we we kind of say that the, the the teams that are in there are in there, and that's it. What does that do to your Halifaxes and your Featherstones and your and your Sheffields and your you know Yorks and, and what does that do to them? Well, the first, well, the do, first do thing they... I do with the Super League is you sort the amount of teams out. So it'd go from twelve to fourteen hundred percent, and I'd look at the Super League right now and say like, who who in that competition right now is adding commercial value to that competition? Late, well, they'd go straight away. They'd be replaced by Toulouse, yeah. and like I say, the two yeah. that I'd bring in would be London dead set, and then either a Cumbrian side or York, and that's the way yeah. I'd go to start with. And I would do a close yeah. shop, and 
are you saying to you out the factors and Featherstones? Well, you, you've already said you want to be part time, even if you did get promoted. So you you, don't, you can't come in so big. You can't come in. Yeah. You can't. You got to stay in the championship in a part time league because that's your ambition. Sorry, if you want to be the big fish yeah. in a small pond, you you know you'll crack on, boys. Now you see, you see. I mean, obviously, when when Super League first came to pass, you know, when when it all that, when all the unpleasantness happened, and 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 we we ended up with a Super League at the end of it, right? Obviously, there was a Cumbrian team in there. Workington came into the into the um, into the league, and didn't last very long. And they became whipping boys. They were easy beats. Um, the French team was obviously Paris, which was such a mistake. You know, Paris is known for rugby union, the Parc de Prince and all, and all the rest of it. You know, it's all it's all union and, and the heartland of the game in France, as, as we know, is that southern France, you know, around the Catalan region. It's all around there. So that was that was a mistake. Workington was a mistake. Um, now, I know and, and this is a dirty word for any whole supporter, but mergers, right? <sighs> If you could somehow persuade the Cumbrian teams to merge, Barrow, uh, Whitehaven, Workington, Carlisle, if you could, if you could say to them, put a team, put put a put something forward, and have, you know, have a, a Super League team, even you know, you know, have have a base for them in in one of the towns, but play your home games across across the county. Um, th- there's something to be said for that, and, and, I, and I hate the word merger, and, and I don't think there's ever been a successful one, um, ever, not even over here. You know, West Tigers one comp, St George Illawarra one comp, that's it, um, and and they're both probably two of the weaker teams in Super League uh, in in, uh, in the NRL uh, for the last ten years. Um, but if there was somewhere doing it in Cumbria, I can I can see. I can see that working. Um, although, you know, I'm not Cumbrian. I'm not a fan of any of those clubs. So therefore, I'm not emotionally invested. And if you, if you, I was sat opposite in, in a pub opposite a Whitehaven supporter suggesting this, he'd probably reach over the table and, and clock me one. But I, I do think there's something to be said for that. I do. Look, from the outside, there's probably something to be said for Hull and Hull KR merging, but we know that that's not right because it's not right because you've got two strong sides there that they're stronger having a rivalry and stronger that the game is stronger in Hull for having two professional teams fighting against each other and hating each other and creating that the column inches for the game and creating the buzz and creating the TV audiences when there's a genuine local derby. I honestly don't think there's a genuine local derby in Cumbria that could do the same thing. Therefore, a merged entity, I think, would work better. No, I agree. Whether you leave that as a completely new club or you say merge Whitehaven and Workington together, I mean, there's no reason why you can't create a new club and yeah. then keep those two separate in your lower leagues. And if, if they want to stay like that, then that's fine. But as I say, when, you, when you're doing your teams into Super League, we've got to obviously show the ambitions being Super League in the first place, which is exactly why yeah. you rule out with Featherstone, because you can't operate. And again, I'll say it again, you just can't do it part-time. If you're going to come into Super League, you've got to be full-time. You've got to come in to enhance the competition. And I've seen a lot of people say, can we actually support 14 clubs right now? Well, if you take the 11 that are currently in, and then I say you had Toulouse, you had London, you had a Cumbrian or a York, even a Newcastle, to be fair, who are showing a bit of ambition right now. And don't yeah, forget their yeah. voice, the desire to sign George Williams. They had the money to 
they must have a benefactor yeah. up there because they, you know, they've obviously voiced their desire to sign him on a short term deal for mm. the rest of the year. So, mm. where, where we go with that is obviously is obviously key. I mean, is twelve enough? Would fourteen be too many? I mean, it, it's an interesting proposition because I look at Super League between twenty. 2008 and 2014, it was 14 teams, and it worked well, yeah. it must be said. It, it did work well. We had 27 rounds, we just played each other home and away, yeah. then you had the Magic yeah. Weekend. That seemed yeah, to work for me. Stupid bloody loop fixtures, you don't have to do the bloody stupid, you know, end of season, you know, uh, Super 8s and, you know, Middle 8s and all that crap. It just means that you, you've got a you've got a, a really transparent, everyone plays everyone home and away. Which is what a league should be, shouldn't it? Like you're saying. Exactly. This is why I sort of have an issue with, with, with 12 teams because we all know that Super League chairman, the majority of them, they want 13, 14 home games as a minimum. So you can't yeah. do that with 12 teams and have a have a 23-game season because the clubs haven't got enough home games. So in my opinion, yeah. you've got to put it to 14, 15 Super League clubs and, and play yeah. each other home and away. And the Magic Weekend's not going anywhere whether you agree with it or not. Personally, it, I look at it, what's it actually for now? Is it to grow the game? If so, then why the hell have we had it in Manchester and Liverpool? Obviously, I know they've, yeah. they've rectified that this year. They're going back to Newcastle. and I know Newcastle have a, a couple of big amateur clubs up there. There's one called Cranlinson, and they bring you know hundreds, and I mean hundreds of kids, to the Magic Weekend when it's up in Newcastle. Yeah. Cardiff did the same. They brought thousands of kids there to the, to the, yeah. you know, the venue for the two days, six games, whatever, eight games. and Yeah, we've got, we've got to get that right and decide what Magic Weekend's about. It's like the NRL when they do it in Brisbane. It's like, okay... Uh, Brisbane. They've yeah. never grasped. They've never grasped the concept of it. They just they they just go. Uh, it's a weekend where we're playing everything on one ground. That's it. They they, they don't grasp the concept of it. And you know they, they, you've got. It's not. Overy is a bit different. Um, as an example, right? If Hull decided, oh, we're going to play a home game, and we're going to play it in Cornwall, but it's going to be a home game. And then we're going to play another home game and we're going to play it in Edinburgh. And then we're going to have another home game and we're going to play in France. You as a supporter would be jumping up and down going, this is disgusting, I can't follow my team, you know, and all the rest of it. But over here, no problem. The West Tigers um, got paid by the NRL. When I, when I worked for them, they were paid by the NRL to take a home game to Canterbury in uh, in. Um, New Zealand because the, the NRL were trying to grow the game in the rugby union heartland so they, they, they were paid by the NRL to go over there and it actually playing a game over there was was better financially for them than it was playing a game at home because playing a game at home you've got to have stewards and you've got to, you know your insurance and all the rest of it it was it actually made more financial sense for them to do it overseas now you also got around every year where they play a game out in the country, you know, so they'll play in Mudgee or they'll play in Bathurst or they'll play in they'll play in Orange or they'll play you know, they'll play in Tamworth or they'll play in Coffs Harbour or, or whatever. Every team goes and plays a, a a game country. So that's another game that you don't have at home. Right? And then you got like like the Tigers, who are a merged entity, play some games at Leichhardt, some games at Campbelltown and some games at Bankwest, which is Parramatta Stadium, and then some games at um, ANZ, which is the, the stadium that we watched Hull and, uh, and St George in. St George plays some of their games at Cogra, which is in Sydney, some games in Illawarra, 
which is down, you know, where we put, we watched them down in Ulwara, in Wollongong. And then some games they'll play at the ANZ as well. So the teams over here, they don't really have a home base, so to speak, unless it's a manly who play everything at their, at their ground or um, uh, Newcastle or Penrith who actually own the grounds and, and all the rest of it. The rest of them are, are fairly, they're fairly transient. You know, they they kind of go from ground to ground and don't really have a base. They maybe have a training base, and that's about it. So it's it's a different thing over here. It really is. So when they have a, a magic round, they kind of go, yeah, okay. Everyone's playing up in Brisbane, okay. They don't really. It's not a destination. It's not something that we do to grow the game. It's just another week. So over here, it's really not been lent the credence that it's been lent in in the uk because it was always traditionally let's go take a game somewhere that we don't normally play let's go take a game to edinburgh let's go take a game to to cardiff let's take a game to newcastle that's great what's the point of playing it in manchester or playing at anfield or play you know what's the point of that you know people already know about rugby league there take it down to london you know take it to i don't know Take it to Coventry. Take it to Br- take it to Birmingham. You know, Bristol. The, the, the amount of people that live around there. Why not? Well, exactly. Yeah, this is the drum that rugby league's got a ban. It must have been it, with the Australian side. I I don't understand why they haven't had it in Perth. You've got that gorgeous new yeah. ground, circular ground that they just yeah. built that they had origin in a couple of years yeah. ago. Why not take it there? You know, obviously yeah. we we've both follow a OFC expat called Phil. Obviously lives in Perth and he's crying out for. Yeah. Australian franchise to come and take Perth by storm and be part of the NRL and how would you test the water? Well, you watch big events there. Obviously, I know there was a couple of World yeah. Cup games England played over there back yeah. in twenty seventeen. They've had the Nans there, but let's take a Magic yeah. Weekend game there as well and yeah. it's still out that totally. stadium and and that's how you grow the game. You take it to Adelaide, who obviously used to have a a franchise yeah. side as well, and the Rams and, and you grow yeah. the game nationally because people talk about Australia and how good rugby league over there, and they think it's a national sport, but it's not, is it? Aussie rules is. No, it's not. It it's is in not. Sydney. Well, it is in Queensland. Aussie rules isn't either. This is the thing. Aussie rules is is only the national sport really in Victoria. It, Aussie rules is strong. WA, South Australia, so Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria is the heartland. New South Wales, you know, they've got the two teams in Sydney. That's about it. And Queensland, they've got a team in Brisbane, and that's about it. You know, um, and you know they haven't got a team playing in the league from Tasmania, but the Tasmanian league is quite strong. You know, it's like a, it's like a, um, a tradition of Tasmanian players coming up to the to the South Australian or Victorian comp. And rugby league is is strong. Queensland, New South Wales, obviously we've got the one team in Victoria in the Storm, and that's it. We've tried South Australia, the Rams didn't really work. We've tried WA, Perth Western Reds didn't really work, although you can say that it wasn't really given a chance to work. Um, Perth makes sense, and it makes sense for a lot of reasons, chief of which is that when all the £10 poms came over in the 50s, um, you know, they, they literally paid £10, got on a boat, and got off in, in Australia and were given government assistance to get on the feet because Australia at the time was crying out for immigration. We needed immigration to survive as a country. The reason why there's so many English people in Perth is because that's the first place that the boat stopped. 
And a lot of people kind of went, I'm not getting back on a boat to go around to, to Victoria, to go around to Melbourne or to go around to Sydney for another two weeks that it's going to take me to sail around the country. I've had enough of this. I've been on this boat for six weeks from England. Get me off. Let me off now. So a lot of them just got off in Perth. So there's a massive English expat community of people descended from those £10 bombs in Perth. It's huge. English English descendants are probably the predominant um, ethnic group kind of thing in, in, in Perth, whereas it's a bit more diluted in Sydney. Um, you know, because you've got a lot of a lot of Asian and a lot of um, Indian and a lot of Middle Eastern, a lot of Lebanese um, people have, have come, you know, and obviously Islanders as well, because, you know, Sydney's on the eastern on the eastern seaboard. So therefore, that's where you get your Tongans, your Fijians, your Samoans and, and, and New Zealanders come up. So Perth, with its kind of more working class, kind of more... Um, you know, it's a lot of mining over there and everything. Mate, it's it, it absolutely primed for a rugby league team in Perth. Absolutely. And it's just never quite got there. Never quite happened. Yeah, it begs the question why. And this is the problem with rugby league right now, right? And if we're going down this road now with expansion and the teams we want to see in both Super League and NRL, look yeah. at the NRL map, if you like. It's all down that eastern seaboard. Obviously, yep. right from Townsville, North Queensland Cowboys, to Melbourne. Obviously, you've got one in New Zealand. Super League is exactly the same. You've got that M62 corridor from St. Helens to Hulkingston yep. Rivers, obviously the most eastern club. And then you've got Catalans in the south of France. The two competitions sort of mirror each other like that. They're not national. Yeah, they do. No, ne- neither of them yep. are national. And this is the no. problem. You know, We need to decide what teams we want in, in, our, in our master plan. And then we need to design the amount of teams and then obviously the number of fixtures and... Like I say, I'll bang that drum again. You look at some of the sides in Sub League right now, what have Wakefield offered to the comp for the past 20 years? Yep. You know, yep. you talked about licensing and some of the criteria um, earlier yep. in this podcast. Where's that ground that Castleford was supposed to be building 15 years yeah. ago? Is it, is it even broke ground yet? I mean, it's no. supposed to be at Glass Houghton, yeah. uh, opposite the escape yep. place, and it's still just a wasteland field. You know, nothing's happening. Yep. It, it, yeah, and that ground of Wakefield is a disgrace. It is not a disgrace, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think most of it breaches health and safety, which is why the capacity reduced yeah. a few years ago. And it's, it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's but it'd not be the good. same as us staying at the Boulevard, basically. Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia yeah. with the Boulevard. I know my dad absolutely loves it. And, and yeah, a lot of people, is, yeah, it will do. I mean, I, I appreciated it. I was a kid, but I was only 10 years old when we left there. So it probably didn't resonate with me. As much as it did with you know with people your age and obviously people my dad's yeah. age, you literally spent yeah. what two thirds of your life there, didn't you? So yeah, I do get it. I, I definitely get it. Why there's why there's a nostalgic feel to that, but you got to move on. Time moves on. You look at it right now. I know we can have the same problem with air ground right now at DW, yeah. but when that's rocking, same at St Helens at Langtree Park, and obviously us at the KCOM Stadium. When we get it right and when we get big crowds there, big events. It's the way forward. It's as simple as that. You look at our average attendance and, you know, before COVID, yeah. it was five figures all the way back to 2003, yeah. which is a phenomenal yeah. effort. You know, Boulevard, last three years at the Boulevard, we were getting six, seven. End of the 90s, it was three and four. Yeah. So it's a huge difference and a massive difference. Obviously, that transcends as well to a better, more successful side as well, rather than one that's fighting to stay up against Sheffield in 1999. But it all goes yeah. hand in hand. You know, that's, you've got to look at what these teams offer as well. You know where where they finish. You know what they're prepared to spend on the squad. I mean, you're telling me that a, a Wakefield right now would just seem to be happy to be here, similar to Salford, just happy to tick yeah. along. 
and this is what this is what winds up with the salary cap right now because you've probably got your Wiggins, your Saint Helens, your Warringtons, probably even your Hull yeah. as well. I know Mister Pearson wages yeah. that with, you know, money, money here, money there, money everywhere, and it never stops moaning about it. But we're a lot better off than he makes out, hundred percent. I mean, it was only last year he was messaging the VP saying we've got this, this, and that, and we've got all these members that have stayed loyal, we've got all these commercial partners, you know, record amount of commercial partners. Yeah. You can't be both yeah. ways, mate. We're either well off or we're not. So. Or we're not. <laughs> true. Yeah. True. Um. Yeah, I, I I get it. Um, it's just our sport is is very high on tradition. You know, in in both hemispheres, it's big on tradition, and to create a club out of nothing, um, for the sake of you know we need a club in this area, to create a club out of nothing, I think is is fraught with danger. I think it's, it's difficult to do. Well, that's when you're in um, Frankenstein territory, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, Catalans worked, um, and that's because there was a hunger for top-class rugby league in that area. And we screwed them over when we put the French professional side in Paris all those years ago. So there was a hunger for it, and it, and it was right to have it. London has never worked. You know, for 40 years we've tried, and it's never worked. We had Fulham, we had London, we've had the we had London Broncos, then there were the Harlequins for a while, and back to the Broncos, back to London. You know, it never it's never quite kicked on. We've tried the South of France, which would have been uh, sorry, the South of Wales, which which on in the in you know in the North Wales as well. We've tried which on, on paper should be there because there are rugby players there that not necessarily want to play a union. They might want to play a league and they're a skillful rugby playing nation. It's not worked. You know, they tried Gateshead, you know, it's thank Christ they did because we'd be under the bloody, we'd be under a stone by now if it wasn't for all that screwing up. But Gateshead didn't work and we were the benefactors of it. Simple as, you know, we, we've tried and we've tried and we've tried um, to bring teams into non-traditional areas. And apart from Catalan, it's really not worked, and and arguably Catalan is a traditional area. It's just not a traditional area in England. I I, I hundred percent agree with some, you know, a lot of that. Catalan's has worked because rugby league has been in Perpignan for a double yeah, my life for now. years. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. You go back years, decades, decades, and they've had yeah. that. They've had that foundation right there. Rugby league in Cumbria, that's why it would work if you put a team into yes. rugby league. If they were financially sustainable, if they had the ambition, if like say if the funds are there. They would be a force because there's a, a there's a presence in Cumbria right now. The amateur game there is strong. They've got the players. They've got people there who live and breathe rugby league. It would work. London, this is the thing with rugby league. It always looks for the quick fix. It's not there for the long haul. London, mm. chop and change every two, three years. I mean, there was even talk about yeah. moving this year. Luckily, they stayed at Eland. They need to find a part of London where they can grow. And, and they haven't done that yet. Like you say, they've gone from Brentford to Charton to... Twickenham to yep. Ealing and they move about. To, yeah. They move about, you know, more times than the Gypsy. It's ridiculous, and yeah. that's that's the big problem with London. But then you look at the London amateur game and the players they're starting to bring through. I mean, that one that yeah. Wigan have just signed, the Kai Pierce Paul, you know, man of the match against yeah. Huddersfield on live on Sky on Sunday afternoon. It's just things like that. We're getting it right somewhere because, London, like I say, these players are coming through right now, and London's amateur game is mm. strong. London came into Super League. They had a great season under Danny Ward. They won ten games. I mean, what side comes up wins ten games and goes straight yes. back down again? Yeah. I mean, that's just a freak yeah. situation for them, wasn't it? But yeah. I like London rugby league. There's potential to grow there. I mean, you think England's biggest attendances over the past ten years are when we go down to the capital. It's yeah. not when we go to Wigan. Yeah, when we go to Hull, Huddersfield, 
what have you, you know, anywhere like that. Mm. England's biggest attendances are when we go down to London. Like you say, why isn't the magic weekend at London? Why haven't we persevered with the London side and, and, and supported them and said, right, this, this is yeah. your base right now, your growth from here. I think London's biggest problem as well is being called London. You look at all the football yeah. teams, they're not called London. You know, they, they've they've stuck to a route and, and they've grown in that borough or in that, you know, that town and they've expanded. Yeah. You look at Chelsea in West London, Arsenal and Tottenham in North London, Crystal well, Palace, you know, the heart we, of South yeah, London. Yeah, we, we tried that with Fulham, didn't we? You see, it was Fulham originally. Yeah. They were Fulham before they were London. And I think a lot of that was just because, you know, because Fulham, they, they couldn't play in the borough anymore. They couldn't call themselves Fulham, so they called themselves London. Yeah. And that's when they became gypsies. And, and you can become a, a gypsy club, like, you know, like a West Tigers or whatever, because you have not got an identity in a home base. Well, it's, that's Wasps in Rugby Union. That's Wasps. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, I mean, is there then something to be said for us piggybacking off another spot and trying to find a Premier League soccer team or a, you know something that might that might want a rugby league arm to their marketing. You know, and go to a Charlton or go to a Chelsea or an Arsenal or a, or a Crystal Palace or a, you know something and just go, hey, we've got this idea. How would you fancy Crystal Palace rugby league? You know, yeah, and, and yeah. Let, let's come off. Let's we'll play in your colours. We'll play in red and blue. Um, we'll play in vertical stripes. We'll call it Crystal Palace Rugby League. You can have the entire franchise. You can have all of the London Broncos players, but we're going to call it Crystal Palace from now on. And here's a five-year contract. Would you be interested? We could have done that with Wimbledon. That was that was the deal on the done. table, wasn't it? To move in AFC yeah. Wimbledon's new ground, Paul Lane. From an away fans' point of view, that's an utter nightmare because obviously it's the very deep essence of South West London. But I couldn't give a crap yeah, about yeah, away fans. It's all, about, yeah. it's all about the like I say, I couldn't give a crap about away fans. It's all about home fans. It's all about that club growing, and that's what London needs to do. They need to find a base and grow. I mean, look where the strong amateur clubs are in London, and maybe go there and then and then try and grow. If they do that, then they're a pick for me for Soap League every day of the week because you need you need a presence in the capital. As I say, you've got to take games yeah. there. I mean, Wigan used to take a game to London, didn't they? Uh, they used to play a pre-season game there, but they started taking Super League games there as well. They played one at Millwall, of all places. But they've got a decent crowd there. And it's about you know yeah. building and growing and creating a presence there. And, and and yeah, for me, Super League has to have a London side. But as I say, there's a big thing for the identity of that London side. And that's something they need to work on right now. If Ealing works and if they can grow at Ealing, they'll call themselves Ealing and go from there. But... They need, yeah. they need to do it sooner rather than later because I, th- I just think London it's it's too vague you know it, does that does that club yeah. represent the 12-15 million people that live in Greater London right now probably not but would it resonate with people if it was if it was their borough like, like it does yeah. like it does to you know I, if you're an East End person you absolutely love West Ham don't you yeah I get it I think the other thing as well is, is that if we do that then you're alienating the rest of London Right. You know, London's a massive place. Um, then you're getting into the territory of, you know, well, you know, why don't we have, why don't we have one team called West Yorkshire? You know, because then all of West Yorkshire could go. Well, yeah, but you know, we haven't. We've got this. We've got, you know, we've got Leeds. We've got Bradford. We've got Halifax. We've got Huddersfield. We've got blah 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 blah. Um, I just think with with the game in London, I think. Look, we had our chance when when Richard Branson. No matter what you think of the block, when Richard Branson was was involved and stuff, you know, you, you had a little bit of charisma there, and you had a little bit of you know of marketing fervor around it, and yeah, you know, he could he could 
he could do something daft as a as a marketing point. He'd get column inches and he'd get his face in the paper and all the rest of it. You're gonna get that if you called Team Ealing, really? I don't think so. You're gonna. I think London. We need a team in London, and I think having a team called London isn't a bad thing. Um, but they've got to have more of an identity. I agree. I agree. But they've got to have more of an identity, that, and that's why. I think if if you if you do try and, and align them to a soccer team, at least then you've got uh, an established fan base that could adopt them. Um, but it, I don't know, mate. It's fraught with danger, isn't it? It is. It, it, it really is a big is. danger as well. And if if you do yeah. move them, I mean, I look at the you know, like say the original London teams when they played at Fulham and when they played at Brentford, mm. they're both West London. They've both got strong uh, communities that are obviously from Australia yeah. and New Zealand. If you take the London team to some borough right at the end, you know, the east end of London or south east, like it was yeah. when it was in Charlton, what are you then doing to those fans? Because you're not telling me that it's easy to hop on the tube and go from one to the other. I reckon that's ridiculous. I reckon we talk about old traffic, how bad that is to go east west. That's eight and nine miles. What's it going to be like in yeah. London? And um, yeah, I just, yeah, that, that worries me a little bit. That's why I think it's just so important right now that they, they, they need to find a base. And stick to it and grow and not move every two, three, four, five years. They've got to stay there for, you know, a couple of decades and, and like say create an identity and go from there. But they'd hundred percent be part of my, you know, my my Super League, uh, my rugby league master plan. As would Toulouse. I mean, I don't think we could agree on a subject more with Toulouse. They have got to be a top flight team in Super yeah. League Europe next year, and hopefully they will be. Uh, the winning games are ease in the championship right now, so I think it's a formality to be honest. Before we call to those a sole play club, and, and that's surely going to develop the competition. Yeah. You look at it as a sponsor, as a broadcaster. We've just had the TV deal now, and it's obviously reported to be significantly lower than what it has been for the past yeah. few years. But you're not telling me the next one with the French derby. You look at that and think, oh, that's a bit tasty, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I might have to offer, totally. a, might have to offer a little bit more now before I don't know yeah. BT coming or Bean Sports coming or you know somebody like that. No, you'd hope. You'd really hope. And, and, you know, like you say, if we get it sorted out and we do put another couple of teams in there and everything, I think, you know, it, it gives it gives the viewer more choice. You know, I mean, at the moment, you know, oh, bloody hell, it's Wigan and Saints again. You know, it's Warrington and Leeds again, you know. But, you know, if you got, suddenly you've got Toulouse against a Cumbrian team, you actually go, oh, wow, okay, I want to watch that because that's, that's new, that's different. It's something, something completely different, you know. Um, I just think, yeah, I, I think it makes commercial sense. And, and like you say, over here, a Perth team makes commercial sense. I think a second team in New Zealand would make sense. I think a second team in Brisbane would make sense. Obviously, there's still a groundswell of support for North Sydney Bears, who, who are a foundation team who, um, who you know, went out of business when Super League War happened and everything. And they've they've still got money, and they've got a leagues club, and they've got a, a war chest of money as a as a corporation and a company. And every time they're looking at, at putting an extra team in. They say, well, us, because we've got the money and we've got the structure and everything, and we'll play on the central coast of New South Wales. Or we'll play um, in Brisbane. Call us the Brisbane Bears, or we'll, we'll play the second team in Brisbane. Or help us, we'll, we'll put a team somewhere else in New South Wales, or new country New South Wales, and we'll call them you know, the country Bears or whatever. And they've got money, um, but they've always been overlooked. Um I think the NRL will go second team in Brisbane, and then I think after that it'll be Perth. Now, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think obviously the latter especially is essential for me. Uh, it's got to yeah. got to happen sooner rather than later because you've got to nationalise both competitions. You know, both in the yeah. UK and in 
well Europe if you like and then obviously in Australia and we've got to you know we've got to make sure the French game is strong we've got to make sure the game is it's just a little bit beyond the M62 corridor what it is now and you know this is where I look at it and I say what do Lee offer what does Salford offer what do Castleford offer what do Woodersfield offer Wakefield it's just you know look at the Super League comp as it is right now you've got the big three over the Pennines St Ellen's Warrington Wigan fine then you've got the two old clubs great you've got Leeds great Catalan's great but the rest of them, you could put. You, they leave a lot to be desired. They really do, and yeah. this is where we've got to decide. You know, what, what, do we want our big clubs like Toulouse? You know, our potential clubs in London, Cumbria, maybe Newcastle, York. I mean, what's to say? Like you said before, going to Coventry and trying that out because there's obviously a base yeah. in Coventry. The Bears are doing reasonably well right now, so there's scope for it. Yeah. And you know, the Wasps work there. They could sell up the Rico Arena. So if they can do it, why can't we? Well, you're probably looking at that and say that's because rugby unions make it a lot better than rugby league will ever be, but. Yes. You don't try, you don't succeed, do you? But whatever Rugby League does, it's got to persevere with it. It can't just look for the quick fix all the time. That's my biggest gripe of it. It'll try, it'll try something. It doesn't immediately work. Oh, so we'll just pull, you know, we'll just pull, pull it under the rope. Now we're going to give up. That's not how you do it. You've got to say you've got to persevere. And I think I think it's that's as a consequence of the game not having the money that rugby unions got. Rugby union can afford to persevere um, because they've got more money, and they've got more money because. Generally speaking, the people that support rugby union are down south and have more money. Um, generally speaking, the people that play are university educated, so therefore they get the cream of the marketing, they get the cream of of the brains, they get you know lawyers, doctors, blah blah blah, because they're all university educated and they're all union players and blah blah blah. And that, that's been like that for a century. Um, and unfortunately, we've been the poor northern relations for a long, long time. And, and it is a shame because we've got really talented people involved in our game. It's just that the ones that rise to the top, you know, cream rises, but so do turds. <laughs> you know? And, and unfortunately, we've had more than our fair share of absolute dog shit running our sport. Yeah, that's a absolute fair analogy. A lot of people will agree with you, as sad as it is. Yeah. Um, to sum up that then, so promotion, relegation, you're for it, I'm against it. <laughs> so, uh, we'll, we'll agree to disagree there. Uh, number of teams in Super League, my ideal number, I must admit, would be 14, absolutely, with yep. 26 games. And I'd yep. have the Magic Weekend as well, but I would take it to London. Yeah, yeah, agreed. As far as clubs agreed. go, I want to expand that geographic reach a bit beyond the M62, and we do that with those that I've mentioned. Uh, as far as the playoff goes, I like it. You know, I know it's top six right now. Ideally, I'd rather have top five, but I don't want to go top eight because then you're awarding teams that finish, you know, mid-table, but yeah. even bottom half of the table, you're giving them a shot at the at the big prize, and that's just yeah. wrong for me. But a top five and a fourteen-team comp, I quite like the sound of that, to be honest. Yep. Yeah. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not opposed to that. And then that leads us to the big thing, <laughs> the rugby league international game, which. It's well, an absolute joke, isn't it? I mean, let's face it. It's a basket case, yeah. And, and a lot of that, at the moment, you can blame on COVID because there isn't free movement between countries at the moment, which is which is a shame. But it, it's kind of it's kind of turned the contrast up on on the issue. You know, it's it's really brought the issue to the fore for me. Like I say, we get to lose into that Super League, we get a stronger France. England must play France annually, at least once. In and France, let's as well. be smart about it. Let's be smart about it. Play it in Waterloo in Belgium and call it the Battle of Waterloo. Play it in Agincourt in France and call it the Battle of Agincourt. 
you know? It's traditional battlegrounds between English and French. Let's let's actually bloody think about it and actually create something. You know, let, let's actually, you know, talk about, you know, cry Harry for England and all this kind of stuff from Henry V. Let's bloody do it. Let's do it properly. Let's let's get some bloody romance and get some feeling into it and, and call it, you know, the, the revenge for the hundred year war or whatever. Let's bloody do it properly. You know? Um we need to do it. We need to do it every year. And it needs to be in France. Yeah. England need to go across to France every year. It's all right. to. Yeah, it's all right. Maybe playing the old test up here. But yeah, we've got to be going down there. We've got to be growing the game. Yeah, I yeah. have no qualm with those places that you mentioned, but we've got to be going to Perpignan and playing the game so, there at the stand, yeah. you know, Gilbert Bretos. So we've got to be going to Carcassonne. Yeah. We've got to be going to Albi. You know, places like that that are hot. Go to Barcelona. Well, yeah, there's yeah. no... Well, Catalans did that. We, we played Warrington yeah. there a few years ago. Obviously, they also played Wigan there a couple of years ago. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, Try it out. It. You know, the Catalans, obviously, you know, they're... Even the Spanish side of the border, they are very proud to be Catalonian. I mean, don't forget, there was all that Absolutely. political stuff a couple of years ago, the fact that they wanted to be independent yeah, from Spain and France. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And you know what, right? If you go to that area and you're speaking Spanish, that's fair enough, because they expect that, because you're, you're a tourist. But if you go down there and you try and speak Basque, they will love you forever <laughs> because you tried it, you know? And imagine that. Imagine all that potential there of, of, of Basque-speaking natives around that northern, northern Spain, southern France region that's completely untapped as regards sport, apart from the one soccer team that they have there. Do you know? Do it. Bloody do it. Get, get some... Get some money and go down there and say we're going to play England against France and we're going to play it right in the heartland where you know call it the I don't know call it the do it in 2025 right and do it as the end you know the the um, 80th uh, anniversary of the end of the Second World War and the triumph of, of rugby league over the Nazis. You know, make sure you do it properly. Everyone knows the story about the Vichy government and, and what happened to the French Rugby League and having their assets frozen. Let's bloody talk about it. Let's let's invoke a little bit of, of nostalgia and, and some, some history and, and get some bloody passion into it. It's such an untapped area. It, it drives me insane that we've just allowed it to kind of fester. It's just, let's do it, you know, and let's get England there every year and do it properly. Yeah, when you think of the last two England v France games, they've been at Lee with sub 5,000 crowds. It's like, for God's sake, if we're going to do it, Can you imagine? let's do it properly. Can you imagine going down there, going down there and doing it and do it, you know what, do it as a, like a, as a package thing. So, you know, get the RFL to say, right. You get a two for one, or you get you get a special deal. You buy a ticket for the England France game, and you get your ticket for your team playing Catalan for half price, or your team playing Catalan for free. Right. So then you've got you know you only get that deal if you go to both games. You go to the England game, and you go to the you, when your team plays Catalan as well. Yeah. You know, and let's grow the bloody game down there. Let's do it properly. And likewise, such an untapped area. Likewise, with your Waleses and your Scotlands, I know they're probably a bit yep. too weak here right now. But I mean, they should be playing France regularly. Yep. They should be playing each yep. other regularly. Yeah. Down under right now, you look at all those Pacific Island nations. Totally. Samoa, 
Cook Islands, Fiji. Why the hell weren't they playing on that standalone Origin Weekend? I think it's not Origin Weekend. You should have had you should have had Fiji against the Cook Islands or Fiji against PNG or, or whatever, and you certainly should have had Samoa Tonga. Yeah, certainly. Um, and, and you know, I mean, then then you look at someone like a, like a Termalolo, and and then you know him playing on the same weekend as Origin justifies his decision not to play Origin. And justifies his decision to to commit to his island, you know. It would just be, yeah. It, it makes perfect sense to me. And and you know, play it on the same play it the same thing. You know, kick it off at six o'clock. I don't care. It doesn't matter that it that you know you, you don't have to have. You don't have to have it. I mean, it'd be lovely if you had it in Western Sydney, where all of those islanders live, and all the rest of it, because those games get absolutely. Um, packed out. I mean, I, I went to a double header at Parramatta years ago, back when I was living in Sydney. The, the double header was Tonga Samoa and then um, Australia, Papua New Guinea was, was the double header. And Australia toweled Papua New Guinea up, but the Fiji, uh, sorry, the, the Tonga um, Samoa game was incredible. What a game. I absolutely played at 100 miles an hour. You know, players diving into tackles, people getting sent off, the heads getting taken off, the crowd going nuts. You know, the 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 two, the hacker and the sippy towel were just heartbreaking and, and beautiful. You were in tears watching it. It's just brilliant. It is so cool. Um and we don't do enough of it. You know, I mean like everybody when we when we have the 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 World Cup or the the you know the end of season internationals or whatever my household stops for the hacker when New Zealand are playing. My household stops for the Samoan, the Sippy Tau, and the and whatever the, the Tonga one's called. It, it's just it, it it raises goosebumps, and that's what all sports should do. And and we've got it there, and it's unused. Well, this is what the football has done right now. In England, it yeah. is United yeah. people in certainly what's been yeah. a tough time. And don't get me wrong, it's been a tough time for the whole world. We all know that. But the UK has had 150,000 deaths. We've done it you know, tougher than most. But, and it's yeah. given us something to shout about in what honestly has been a shit time for the past year and a half. And yeah, football yeah. did that. It brought people together. Every little kid, whether he was a hardened you know, club fan watching his club side every week during the Premier League season, Football League season, non-league season, whatever, was playing football, was picking up footballs in the street, was yeah. watching England on TV. Rugby league, if that, if it can, if the World Cup goes ahead, let's say it does, you know, however likely or unlikely it is, whatever, let's say it goes ahead, England do well in it. That's absolutely huge for the country. But yeah. they've got they've then not got to build on that. It's like twenty thirteen, we didn't do that. We had a great World Cup yeah. in twenty thirteen. We had that belting yeah. test against New Zealand. Obviously, we got knocked out in the semi final, but we didn't keep on. Yeah. Didn't do anything. We had that yeah. game in Bristol. It was a midweek yeah. game in Bristol. There was thousands and thousands of people there. I don't think they've yeah. ever seen a rugby league game there since. It's like we've got to, no. if you're going to do something, yeah. we've got to do it right. Then we've got to say it's that right again, perseverance, and we've got to stick to it. And what what the international game can do, that's how you get people involved, and then you suck them in, and then you think, right, you have a great World Cup, England do real well, people fall in love with the England rugby league team. They then see the Super League season is about to kick off the following year, 2022. Yeah. All right, okay, I might go follow Wigan now, or I might go follow, I don't know, yeah. Hull or Leeds or whatever, or, or London or. Or if you're a French person, you watch the Rugby League Club, I might go check out Toulouse. It's only an half an hour drive or whatever. Or you know what? I wonder. I, I wonder, Dan, and, and to your point there about Bristol, I wonder if any Super League chairman actually went to the Super League or to the RFL and said, 
can we take a game to Bristol? Do you know, I wonder if any of them did. Probably because, not. I mean, that, what, a, what, a, what an opportunity that would be. You know, you've got thousands of people watching the game. Well, they all live in you glass know, houses, probably don't even they? know anything about it. The Super yeah. League chairman, they really do live in glass houses. And I, I, yeah. If I was a betting man, I'd say no. They probably didn't think, oh, yeah, we just had a really yeah. good game in Bristol for the World League World Cup 2013. Oh, let's take a Super League game there. I don't yeah. think it would even cross their minds. I really don't, because they yeah. live in little bubbles. Yeah. and uh, Yeah, we, we've got to be smarter in how we, how we do things. And we grow the game internationally. That's what rugby union's done. Yeah, it turned professional. Yeah. It was already professional and everything but name, but it turned yeah. professional 95. How do we grow the game? Right, let's get our international game sorted. Their international game is massive. That's what we need yeah. to do. We need to make our international game like that. Australia have got to want to play games and not be scared when an opposition might beat them. I mean, it's like they didn't play us after 2017. If England played Australia in 2018, I would like to think we would have beaten them because we were right on, right on them. You think... Uh, you know, 2017 World Cup, losing it by one try. There was that Callum Watkins, the ankle tap. He was literally what? Inches away from scoring, yeah. you know that's it's a game of millimeters we believe at times, isn't it? Who knows what could have happened if that England team kept on playing and kept on evolving? Let's not forget they hammered New Zealand in the Test series. New Zealand yeah. had just beaten Australia before they came over here, so who knows what could have happened? Yeah. Tonga right now, yeah. best thing about international rugby, they probably played about six games in four years. That's not yeah. how you do it. They should be playing four or five every year. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the worst thing is that that Tonga team is a once in a generation squad. You know, yeah, there's not a yeah. lot coming up behind them. There's not a lot of youth Tongan players coming up behind them. Or not enough players um, putting the hand up and, and, and committing to Tonga behind them anyway. Um, so, you know, now is the time that they should be playing month in, month out and, and year in, year out against other international sides because in five years' time, those players will be retired or older and slower and not as good. And the next time they play Australia, we get beat by 60 points. And yeah. everyone will go, oh, Tonga was a flash in the pan, wasn't it? You know? It's just... But then, like you say, you play them four or five times a year where you've got Tonga, v, New yeah. Zealand, Australia, England. You're then thinking, right, all these kids, they're growing up in Western Sydney, they've got, I don't know, parents or grandparents that you know grew up or have got, um, mm. obviously, ethnic origins that link back to your Tonga. They're thinking, oh, I want to play for Tonga. Oh no, it's not. I want to play for yeah. Tonga. It's I want to die for Tonga. That's 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 yeah. what the that's the thing, is. mate. And and too often it's well the pinnacle of our game is state of origin. And if I commit to Tonga, then I won't be able to play for Queensland or for New South Wales. Well, they need to change those rules, in my opinion. They um, need to change it. Mal Meninga was interested when he had a pop at Jerome Luai because he wants to still mm. play for Samoa. Well, you shouldn't be playing Origin then. Hang on a minute, pal. Adrian Lamb. Look yeah, at yourself. Look at yourself yeah, as well. Petro Cena Siva. Yeah. It's like, come on, mate. So it's just yeah. said about people in glass houses. It yeah. shouldn't affect it. I mean, like, it's like you, you, you wrote the blog about it about um, obviously the the rules about being the age brackets where it's the cut off, and it was obviously that winger Ronaldo yeah. Mulatala, I think I pronounced that right. Obviously, he couldn't play because yeah. he was a year out of the the age bracket where you've got to be in one of the states in order to qualify. That's fine. I mean, do that, but carry on, crack on, but don't then punish a player. And say, oh, you can't go play for Samoa, or you can't play for Tonga just because you played for Queensland. I mean, Jason Tamalola should be playing for Queensland, but then he should be still be allowed to play for Tonga. I mean, it's like I say, it's state football. It's not international football. It's based on the first, you know, your residency in, in that state. So if you've come to, you know, if you've immigrated over as a, I don't know, as a nine, ten year old, and you've played for a Western Sydney Community Club, and then you go sign for Parramatta, and you've played all your junior football through Parramatta, you make your NRL debut, you're good enough to play for Origin, but you still want to play for that heritage at Tonga. You shouldn't be stopped. It's wrong. Totally, 
Totally. I mean, I mean, the, the worst one I can think of is Tony Carroll. Remember, he used to play for Leeds. Mm. Tony Carroll, Brisbane Broncos player, played for Leeds, right? Um, and then played for New Zealand in two thousand, played for Australia in two thousand and four, and played for Queen for for Queensland as well. <laughs> Just makes a mockery of everything, doesn't it? It's just going. What was that about? You know, that's ridiculous. That that's. I mean, you know, that that's as ridiculous as as um, the England halfback being um, what's his name um, who played for Cass and plenty of clubs. Yeah, Rangy Chase. He's not. He's not English. You know, so it's not right. It's funny that because I remember uh, a game. I want to say two thousand and eleven. Uh, yeah, it was 2011 because the left edge was Kurt Yeeman and Tom Briscoe when they was both obviously playing yeah. for Hull. And they played at the KCOM Stadium. England beat New Zealand 28-0, I want to say, or 28-6, something along those lines. Yeah. And Raggy Chase was the halfback. And those Kiwi boys did not like it. They gave him, you know, bastard yeah. after bastard, you know, in the tackle. They were niggling him, they were hitting him high, they were sticking elbows yeah. in. They re- yeah. It did not sit well with them that, obviously, a New Zealander with Maori heritage is lining up for England. And I sort of yeah. get that as well, thinking, what are you doing? Yeah, you shouldn't mm. be doing that. Mm. And uh, some people draw the line here as well and say, look, oh, yeah, Ben Stokes, he plays for the England cricket team. You know, you've got Joffre Archer. Yeah. It's different, though, because they've grown up in in yeah. those English systems. Ben Stokes, obviously, when he's, I mean, he's here because his dad played rugby league, didn't he? Obviously, yeah. in the Nancy's. And he's grown up in England systems through all those... You know, those amateur, those village cricket clubs, those amateur cricket clubs, you know, obviously growing up in the mm. professional cricket clubs and then obviously making his England debut. It's a little bit different to someone who's just come over here. Yeah, come and, over and, and qualifies on, on, on the fact that he's lived here for five years. It's why I didn't, I didn't agree with Jackson Hastings playing for Great Britain or Blake Austin. It's no. it's not, it's wrong. And it's not right. Ben Teo as well, when he came over here, obviously played uh, in the state of origin. Played for South Sydney Rabbitohs, moved cards, came over yeah. to Rugby Union. Next minute, he's playing for England. It's it's wrong. Yeah, I don't agree correct. with it. And and do you know what? Right, when you look at it from an Australian point of view, right, when, when you talk to Aussies about it, and which you know, I mean, I do. I mean, I, I talk rugby league at work, and I talk rugby league with my friends over here, and, and you know, daily. You know, they look at someone like Blake Austin as a failure. Blake Austin, oh, that bloke. <laughs> you know, Blake Austin who couldn't cut it at Canberra. Blake Austin who got cut from West Tigers. Well, he's in England now, is he? Oh, right, he's in England, right. What, what he played for England? Jeez, you guys must be desperate. Do you know? He's a failed player over here that couldn't get another club and ended up having to go to England to play. And they look at him and go, what, what and he's the best you've got in the league? No, we'll, we'll, we'll absolutely smash you in any test match we play. It's a fair point. Yeah, it is. It is. Whereas you look at it right now and you're thinking, right, England's after George Williams, who has obviously done very well in the yep, short NRL well career he had. Yep. Obviously yep. exceeded a lot of expectations. Um, yep. you know, and you think, all right, okay. And then, I don't know, you throw Sam Tompkins in there, you throw Johnny Lomax, who obviously they've caused yep. previous New Zealand and Australian teams problems. You're thinking, all right, okay. But Blake Austin yeah. just takes the piss. Jackson Hastings again takes the piss. Takes the piss. Totally, totally agree. Totally agree, it, it, and and that's why the international game is weak, because you look at it and an Aussie looks at it and goes, "Why should we play England when that's the crap we're playing? They mm. couldn't get a team over here. They couldn't play second grade over here. What well, they're your halfback? What's the point?" Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah, it does take the piss. And I'd argue as well. How many times have Australia, New Zealand, poached players that have previously played for Samoa 
or a Tonga yeah. or a Fiji, totally. even a Papua New Guinea. Yeah, they don't take the shit ones, do they? They no, take the best. No, they take the best. But again, <laughs> that, the again, that winds me yeah. up just as much because you're diluting their game yeah. right now. It's like, yeah. we saw it all the time. He was Jared Ayn a couple of weeks ago as a prime example. But, I mean, yeah. there was Adrian Ram, there was Cena Seaver. There's, there's yeah. countless examples. I mean, what doesn't sit well with me right now is Felice Kufilsi, New Zealand-born and bred, playing for Australia. And against yeah. Semi Rajarara playing for Australia. I mean, even had yeah. to ask his own dad if it was okay because he was that scared of obviously yeah. upsetting his family's heritage. And it turns out his dad was yeah. okay for it, you know, proud for his son and whatnot. But I mean, you're looking yeah. at it as a fan, Semi Rajarara is, is Fijian born and bred. He's and Fijian. He should be playing for Australia. Yeah. He could hardly speak English when he came over. It, yeah, it's just wrong. I mean, I look at it right now. Is it probably Bristol Bears with Ratto and Lago? <laughs> Give it a couple of years, and they'll both be playing for England. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be so surprised. No, uh, you wouldn't. Would wouldn't you? be so surprised. And yeah, just yeah. I, I don't sit well with me, but I just want a strong international game, like you say. I want Tonga playing. I want Australia playing. I want England playing more to the point. But I want England yeah. playing France every year. I want England playing. Yeah. I want England going over there and doing proper tours. Let's go play three. T- All right, if Australia don't want to play, let's go to. New Zealand, let's go play three tests against Tonga because they'll play us. They want to yeah. play. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the South Sea Island tour? I'd love that, mate. That'd be Can class. you imagine the South Sea Island tour? England going two games in Fiji, two games in West in, in Western Samoa, and two games in Tonga. Bloody hell! And, and two games in PNG as well. Yeah, I'd probably argue you'd wow. have to go to New Zealand there because obviously. You look at the Tongans, yeah, I mean, they sold out like, not smart, didn't they? And, you know, and when, when you sail past Australia, you give them the middle finger for not bloody caring you. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. You say bollocks to you. And yeah. With the exception of maybe one game for those that do live in Western Sydney, um, and maybe give them one game in Campbelltown, but not having any more. Yeah. You know, and I'd, I'd... Give them a game in Port Macquarie. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you'd be saying, you'd be sticking two fingers up to them and say bollocks to the lot. Yeah, and you would carry on... Yeah. Well, in these days, carry on flying past them. And uh, Yeah, let's, yeah. let's give the international game to those who want it. It's like the World Cup. Uh, obviously, we've got this one in England, if it does go ahead. 2025. I'd make an absolute strong argument right now and shout it from the bloody hilltop that it should be in France. A standalone World yeah. Cup in France. That'd be yes. great. I'd go. I'll stay yeah. there for the full six weeks, mate. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that would be, that, I think that that makes sense, especially if, if, if you know, what we're championing and, and what we're asking for um, happens and we do get a, a, a second team in France with, with Toulouse. If if that happens and the French, the French uh, game starts to grow, well, then I think it's essential that we, we cap that off by... You know, putting a, a World Cup competition down there exclusively, and not one of these. Oh, we play three games in France and two yeah. games in England, and blah blah blah. Well, no, in twenty thirteen, yeah, yeah, that that was embarrassing. I'll play a couple in Wales, I'll play three in France, Western yeah. England. Nah, box that. You play them all in France, or you don't play one at all. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. But that's yeah. what that great me with twenty seventeen a little bit as well. Playing it some in Australia, some in New Zealand, a couple in Papua New Guinea. No, give New Zealand their own World Cup. They can support that. If you're going to do it in yeah. Australia, let's just do it in Australia. New Zealand yeah, can support totally. their own World Cup. Let's do that in 2025 or 29. In this case, 29, because yeah. I want it to be in France in 2025. But, yeah, you've got to do it right. You can't just be doing a few games. It's like, I didn't agree with that with the Euros this year either. It, yeah. Got me wrong, brilliant. Yeah, I couldn't wait that out. I mean, looking yeah. at it from, from, from distance over here, I was like, well, where are they playing? The yeah, people? exactly. Where, I didn't get it. Because well, I don't follow soccer well, at all. Because of yeah. COVID, there was actually less venues than there was proposed to be a couple of years back in. Yeah, I'm looking at that and thinking a whole tournament is the beauty of the fact that it's it's held. 
in Brazil, or it's held in Russia, or like I say, the 2016 Euros in France, the 2012 one in, you know, Ukraine and Poland. That's the beauty of it. It's it's set to yeah. one region, you know, one specific part of the world. And yeah, we've got to get that right with rugby league for the foreseeable. I don't just want to see it head back to Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea in 2025. Let's, let's give it to France. You know, let's go from there yeah. uh, and let's see what happens. And yeah, so yeah, that's our 100%. rugby league master plan. You know, 14 team Super League, 16 team NRL with Perth. Obviously, a French game, a strong international game. Just sign us up now, lads. Get us in red all. You know, we'll take Peter Flandy's job as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, to finish then, we've got our NRL Plessy Club Connections and we're going for the Parramatta Eels this week. We are, yeah. Now, obviously, there's the... Uh... There's the obvious that you know we we would talk about probably the the goat as as far as as far as English um, as far as Australian imports to to uh, to Hull FC is, is concerned. But there's actually quite a few quite a few players that we can talk about with with Parramatta. Um, it was a bigger list than I thought, and some some players that you'd have forgotten all about as well. Jeff Girard um, is probably the oldest of all of them. Um, played for Hull in '86 finished his career off in Hull but he was a Parramatta player from the early 70s and uh, and was a good good second row forward Jeff Girard Um, John Muggleton obviously we had at the same time as Peter Sterling Um, I think he was married to Sterling's sister or Sterling married his sister I think they were brother-in-laws but obviously big rangy second row forward and then John Muggleton actually now um, uh, is the or was the defensive coach for the Wallabies? He actually went over to Rugby Union and uh, and was the defensive coach for the Wallabies for years as well, and and, uh, and spent most of his post playing career in Rugby Union rather than league. Peter Sterling obviously is the one that that uh, that we we all hang our hat on as as being the standard to which we hold all of overseas players at Hull, um, an absolute legend of the game and. Uh, and a fantastic player, and, and and not just a fantastic player, but a great ambassador for our club. You know, always mentions Hull when he's commentating or when he's being interviewed. You know, I remember watching Sam Moa play um, over here and, and somebody saying, geez, where has this guy come from? He's just exploded onto the scene since he's, he's come over from England. And Peter Sterling saying in commentary on national TV, yeah, but he went to a bloody good team in England because he went to Hull and they look after their players over there. Now, you know the the knock on effect of players watching that and thinking, oh well, right, right, okay. Sam Moa did really well, and he did. He was fantastic, and he was from Holland. Pete Stale is giving him the the seal of approval. I don't think that can be that can be bottled. And I think he's always beaten the whole drum his entire career as Pete Sterling. And and as a player, he was a genius, and as a bloke, he, he's an absolute legend. So I don't think we can say much more. <laughs> Oh, you've met him, haven't you? And he's he's he, there's an aura about him. Yeah, I've met him in both Hull and Wollongong. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, yeah. I've got the set, but yeah, there, there is an aura about him. I've never actually seen a bloke spend that much time with fans as Peter Sterling when we went across. Yeah. I mean, the the fundraiser was for Brett Kenny, and yeah. I must admit the ratio was ninety five Hull, five Wigan. That's what that's generally yeah. what it was, and. I've never seen a bloke have so much time for all fans, and like you say, the the hundred percent an aura about him. He, he was willing to sign things, we pose for photographs, but he talked to you as well. It wasn't just a you know when you get some players and you're thinking, yeah, your attitude, you really don't want to be here, do you? But Peter Sterling was thriving off it. He was you know yeah. telling us stories and 
you know, listening to what the fans had to say as well. And, yeah, just a really great bloke. And he, and he did the same when he came back over to Hull, uh, obviously yeah. last year. Uh, that was just before COVID struck. And, you know, they had a dinner. He sold out uh, a new hotel in Hull, Hilton, huge function room, you know, 500 plus strong, sold it out within hours. Yeah. And, you know, he, he was brilliant that day as well. Just, you know, never known a, a, an ex-player or a current player to have so much time for the fans. And, and just be full of class and not have a bad word to say about the club. Absolutely loved his time over here. I must admit, he was you know, very I, quiet. I met him, Sorry, go on, go on. I met him 2004, I think. I'd only been over here uh, uh, six months. I went to a footy shirt taping um, in Sydney. And um, I, I got talking to him because I was wearing my whole shirt and everything. And, and like during the break in filming, like because it was a live show back then, um, the, the nightly footy show. Um, so the, the the panel was him, Fatty Vortin, Matt, Matt Johns and... Um, and uh, Paul Harrigan, and um, they actually it, it, during a, you know one of the commercial breaks, he kind of looked up and he said, "Is that a whole shirt?" And I said, "Yeah," and he and he said, "Oh," and he actually kind of motioned after the show. So I'm like, "Right, okay," you know, like like my wife's going, "What are you doing? Who are you talking to?" And I'm like, "Please, darling." <laughs> so so like, like after the show, we like hung around, and Matt Johns came up and said, oh, all right, guys, he's oh, a whole supporter." He said, uh, "He said yeah, the." It, Sterling's in the back. He said he'll be through in a minute. He said he hasn't stopped talking about you since since he came back to get his makeup off. He's like, oh, there's a bloke from Hull in the crowd and everything. He came over and he, and he spent so much time with me and my wife. He said, oh, do you want, do you want a photograph and, and all the rest of it? And he was just such a lovely bloke. And he actually said to me, he said, oh, he said, do you know what really upset me about Hull? And I said, what? And he said, when they signed Paul Sterling, he said, I wanted to be the only P Sterling that ever played for Hull. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, the fact that he still followed our results and everything and, and the fact that he treats it as family and the fact that you know it, it, he's always going to be all supporter and i think that's a lovely thing i thank god that he and i'm an atheist but i thank god that he did his shoulder and didn't play for leeds because he'd signed for leeds but he did his, his ac joint and, and that finished his career and, and to see him running around in a lead show would have killed me and uh, and killed a lot of all supporters i think and, and uh, i just think it was Although for him, a tragedy that he had to retire early, I think as a, for a Hull supporter and Hull supporters like us, I think it was divine intervention. Yeah. <laughs> um, we go further down the list. Then David Lydiard, um, only played a handful of games for Hull. He played for Rovers afterwards as well. But we cut him in 90, 1990 or 91, 1990, because Greg Mackey became available. And David Lydiard did his shoulder. Um, we were looking for another five eighth, another another standoff. Um, Greg Mackey was on a short term contract at Warrington and was about to re-sign. And, Bre- and Brian Smith stole in and stole him from Warrington and said, "No, come to Hull." And we cut David Lydiard mid-season to get Greg Mackey in. Um, Lydiard then went and played for uh, for Rovers for a couple of seasons after that. Obviously, you know, we're talking about fantastic Australian imports as well. Probably the second greatest after Peter Sterling, Jason Smith, who was a Parramatta player, um, and uh, you know was an absolute genius and a genius in a different way to Sterling, because Smith had something. Sterling was tough because he was a small bloke. And to go in where the legs were, were kicking and the, the arms were flying was, was bravery. But Jason Smith was hard. 
there's a difference. Jason Smith could dish it out as well as take it. And uh, he, he sometimes walks a very fine line between a skillful player and a lunatic. Um, and I think his personal life has kind of attested to that since he retired as well, because he's uh, there's been a few drug allegations and, and all sorts of stuff. But um, yeah, Jason Smith, um, as, a, as an import, I don't think we've had probably much better. And certainly I think he's right up there as probably our best of the Sterling era. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Further down, with Steve Collins, who was uh, he came down from uh, came down from Gateshead when we got those players from Gateshead. Another one, like we said last week, another one who was unlucky to be cut. Steve Collins played in the centres for us that that season. Thirty-two appearances, eighteen tries. Really unlucky to be cut. And I like Steve Collins. He was uh, he was a very very good player. And, uh, and a real shame we couldn't keep him. A centre or, or a fullback, I think he did a bit of both, Steve Collins. But uh, a real shame we couldn't keep hold of him. But uh, one of those things we had to uh, we had to cut some players, and uh, and he was one of the ones that uh, that had to be cut, unfortunately. Um, Ian Heron, same Chuck Heron, the winger, goal kicking winger, only played a handful of games for Hull that year and was injured and kind of displaced out of that side by Brian Carney, who who was coming through the ranks at the same time on the same wing. Um, but Ian Heron was an ex Parramatta player. Um, Jamie Smith, another Jay Smith, um, came across. He was he was a um, I think he was a Warring uh, uh, Workington player. And um, Peter Walsh, uh, who we got as a coach um, those first couple of Super League years, um, had coached him at Workington, and uh, he came across 98-99. He was an ex-Paramatic player as well. Adam Dykes, who we talked about in a um, Cronulla uh, context a couple of weeks ago, he was an ex-Paramatic player. Now, here's a player who played one game for Hull, James Webster. (laughs) Hey! Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, played one, lost one. <laughs> James Webster for Hull. Um, unfortunately, I actually the, the game I was talking about the double header, Tonga Samoa and, and Australia Papua New Guinea. I was sat next to him, James Webster, and uh, yeah, um, real nice bloke actually. His brother still is uh, one of the junior coaches at West Tiger, so I know the family a little bit. And uh, yeah, nice bloke, but a red and white bastard, so we won't talk about him too much. Um, Wade McKinnon, obviously, um, played for a little bit of Parramatta. Chris Thorman um, had a season at Parramatta, never really set the world on fire, and then had a season with us and never really set the world on fire either. And, and probably a missed opportunity, Chris Thorman. He was a very skillful player, but just never seemed to take that next step, did he? Um, yeah, unfortunate, I think, but uh, that's that one. Um, Josh Cordoba, who we had on a very short term contract. Um, oh, I can't even remember what the year it was. Was, but, uh, was it 2009? Yeah, yeah I, okay, I was going to say 10. Yeah. yeah, nine or 10. Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't really set the world on fire for us either, but he was a, a short term contract. Um, and then obviously, Frank Pritchard. When Hull cut him um, after 2016, he had half a season with Parramatta and did his knee, uh, which was a shame for him. But, um, yeah, he finished his career at Para. And then, obviously, two current Hull players who are ex-Parramatta players in Manu Mau and uh, Brett Farima, who were both uh, ex-Parramatta players. Now, there are three players that have been on the books at Hull and on the books at Parramatta that have never actually played a first-grade game for Parramatta. Jordan Rankin, who's been in the, the 19 
you know the squad and everything, but he's he's never actually run on in a in a competitive match for Parramatta. He's played pre-season friendlies. He's played for the reserves. He's never actually run on. But John Rankin is currently at Parramatta. He's out of contract at the end of this season. It'd be a good pickup for someone in England, I think. But uh, John Rankin is is on Parramatta's books. Albert Kelly was on Parramatta's books until he got sacked for not turning up for training or turning up for training drunk or something. But um, he was another one of the clubs that he didn't really make an impact at. But Albert Kelly was at Parramatta for a while. And obviously Ben Crooks, um, who left Hull to go to Parramatta and ended up, you know, left Hull as, was he Super League Young Player of the Year? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and yeah went, before I left went, it in 2014, he got Super League Young yeah. Player of the Year in 13. 13, OK. So, you know, was was um, up there amongst the best English young English players in the league. I went to Parramatta and ended up playing in front of 200 people. Um, for Wentworth Phil Magpies in the second division, um, which is, is Paramount's feeder club. And then obviously came home and went to the dark side. So um, that's my list. Yeah, I wonder what Dad Lee really thinks about that deep down. Yeah, it must kill him. <laughs> it must kill him. <laughs> yeah, 100% it's got to. I know it's just done all that and he wants him to do well, but yeah, deep yeah. down he's probably thinking, you red and white bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, if my son said, you know, Dad, I've been approached by an English team and, and, you know, I want to go across to England. And he said, Hull Kingston Rovers. I'd honestly look at adoption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that'd just yeah. be, yeah, Jack Harrison signs for Hull Kingston Rovers. What? No, mate. I mean, you can do it. You can do it, but you can change your name. You can do it, but you have to change your name. I'm sorry, you, you can't. I'm not having my name. I'm not having my name in, the, in that shirt. I'm sorry. I know you're my son and I love you forever. But I love my club as well, and that's not happening. <laughs> 100%, love it. Yeah. Right, good stuff, mate. Cheers, thanks for your time, mate. All the best, and come on, you all. Absolutely.